Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Last week, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints released an updated handbook for lay leaders of Mormon congregations mandating church discipline for same-sex couples who marry and prohibiting their children from receiving baby blessings or being baptized until they reach the age of 18. Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Church's Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said the new policies are designed to protect children from conflict, not to limit opportunities for children in the church. According to Deseret News, protesters in Salt Lake City on Sunday said the new policy perpetuates inequities and called on the church to reverse course. We're going to talk about this on the program today. We invite you to join us at 1-800-826-1495, toll-free number. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. And uh, we bring in several guests to talk about this. We uh, bring in gay rights advocate Dory Burt, who rejoins the program and is in studio with me. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. We have with us uh, John Gustav Rathal, who's a member of the board of directors of the group Affirmation, a support group for LGBT Mormons and former Mormons, their families, friends, and church leaders. Mr. Gustav Rathal, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. And we have with us Brandy Walton, who is an LDS writer, who was raised by uh, lesbian parents, uh, and I believe lives in Oklahoma. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today as well. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, with uh, John Gustav uh, Rathal. Uh, by the way, we can read some uh, very interesting writing he's been doing on this at his blog, which is called Young Stranger. Um, so, first of all, your your background, Mr. Gustav Rathal, you're an adjunct professor, American Religious History at United Theological Seminary of Twin Cities. I live in the Twin Cities uh, area. He's published articles in Sunstone and Dialogue. And uh, though excommunicated from the LDS Church, you say you have a testimony you've been active in your South Minneapolis ward since 2005. That's correct. Uh, what was your initial reaction to this news? Uh, my initial reaction was shock. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, it was, it, it, we heard the news very suddenly. Um, I happened to be on Facebook at the time, and all of a sudden uh, people were talking about this. Most people uh, didn't believe that it was real at first. And um, through some relationships that I have, I was able to basically verify that, that not only was it real that, that individuals in same-sex relationships um, would be required to face a church court um, and that to be in a same-sex relationship was viewed as apostasy, but then uh, we were getting news about the impact on on the kids of same-sex couples. And, and that was probably more shocking and, and more painful than anything else. And I believe you and your husband have a son? We, 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 have a, we do have a son. Uh, his name is Glenn. Um, we, we cared for him uh, through a foster care system and um, had him since he was a teenager. He's now um, independent, living on his own, and and doing very well. So imagine some thoughts, uh, you know, what if? What if this policy had been in place when he was younger? Uh, yeah, you know, my son, um, I, I think he already sort of thought I was slightly crazy <laughs> to want <laughs> to be involved with the, the LDS Church because, um, you know, obviously uh, uh, I am excommunicated, and because of my relationship with my husband, that status um has not changed in the 10 years that I've been active in my ward. And so, um, you know, I, th I think both my husband and my son have really wrestled with my desire to be active in the church. But, you know, I, I certainly would love to have my husband be active in the church with me and, and would have loved for my son to, to benefit from the teachings of the church, which which I think are ha, have really changed my life, have made me a much better person, and um, it's always been painful for me that that disconnect. And certainly, when I heard the news about this, I thought that that disconnect feels like it just got wider. Um, mm. So that that was difficult. You use the phrase cognitive dissonance on your blog. Others have been using that phrase. Yeah, um, I you know. I, I, I was just on the phone yesterday with my bishop, 
and and um, we're going to meet again Sunday to talk more about this. And my bishop has been so supportive of me every step of this journey. Actually, I've, I've been through three bishops now, and all three of them have been supportive, uh, but this one especially. So, and my ward has really embraced me and, and loves me, and they, they've embraced my husband, and, and they love him and, and reach out to us. And, and um, I feel very connected to the community. And um, so people know who I am. They know, they know what kind of a person I am. They know my testimony of the gospel. And I think many people in my ward wish that I could be a member of the church in full standing. And, um, and I think many people don't understand as they've come to know uh, LGBT people and as they've come to know our stories and, and know who we are, they find it difficult to understand um, why, we, why we can't participate in the church in the same way. And so that, that already, I think, is a bit of cognitive dissonance for a lot of people. Um, when they see somebody who clearly has a relationship with God and who, who, who is living a life that in many ways is very harmonious with, with the gospel, and, um, and yet to have those people be excluded from full participation in the community, um, that's, that's always been a source of cognitive dissonance. But I, I think now um, the way the churches policy has really kind of been clarified and, and hardened, I think that cognitive dissonance is going to be even more extreme for a lot of people. Before I move on to the rest of the panel, I think uh, listeners probably will be wondering version of your, your son's question. It wouldn't use the word crazy, but wondering, uh, you know, you've been excommunicated. Your church obviously uh, feels very strongly that your marriage to your husband is wrong and sinful. Uh, yet you keep you you keep going to your ward. You keep uh, you know involved. Well, I I got involved in my ward as a result of a spiritual process, and I I felt God speaking to me very clearly and and telling me that that's what I needed to do. And it really was an act of faith for me. That was a, a huge cognitive dissonance uh, to feel that. The Spirit was calling me to become active in my church, and yet so many things in my life seemed to conflict with that. And, but I felt such a peace about that. I felt grounded in that, and I felt that that was what I needed to do. And, and, so, and I wanted that Spirit to be in my life and to continue to be in my life, and I knew that in order to do that, I needed to follow it. And so, so I got active in my ward, and and I have been so richly blessed by my involvement in the church. And I met with my first bishop, and my first bishop said to me, you obviously love your husband very much, and, and his relationship with you means a lot to you. And I know this is very difficult for you, but I want to encourage you to live as much of the gospel as you can live every principle of the gospel that you are able, even within the constraints that are placed on you. And that is what I have done. And, and my life has become so more rich and beautiful, and, and I have found this, this profound connection with God. And, and the thing is, after this policy was announced, and this was, this was very painful, and, and my husband could tell you I was sort of walking around the house looking stunned. Um, for the first time, I didn't really have a lot to say. I'm, I'm a pretty talkative person, but I was just quiet for <laughs> for the first couple of days after this. And But I, I prayed about this, and I just felt enveloped by the love of God. And I have felt our home, my husband and, and, and my home, has been filled with light and peace, and I have felt so reassured, and so I trust that God is going to bring us through this. I went to church last Sunday, and members of my ward came and hugged me and embraced me and spoke with me and reassured me of their great love for me, and so I don't know what all the answers are. I know that God is in my life, and 
that the church is where I need to be. And I, I have a testimony of the church, um, and I just, I don't think we have all of the answers yet, um, and I actually do believe that this action by the church to clarify the policy um, is actually a step to move us forward with this. Mm. I think we need to understand very clearly what the current teaching of the church is, and we need to understand very clearly the life experience of our LGBT members, and then we need to really wrestle with with the seeming contradiction between those things, and, and I think that we as a church will become much, much better as a result of that wrestling. So I actually do believe that this this will, in the long term, be a very positive thing. You just joined us, so we're hearing right there from John Gustav Rathal. He uh, is on the board of directors for the group Affirmation. We have with us in studio Dory Burt, who is a... Um, a gay rights advocate, and uh, we have with us uh, Brandy Walton, uh, an LDS writer who was raised by uh, lesbian parents. Uh, if you'd jo- like to join the conversation, we're talking obviously about the LDS uh, church policy uh, change uh, instituted on, uh, uh, specifically the focus has been uh, in, on children of uh, same-sex uh, couples. Want to know what you think? 1-800-826-1495, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter at uh, Utah Public Radio. I want to turn to Brandy Walton. Um, you have a very interesting background, and before I ask you your uh, reaction, uh, reading a blog post, you, you sort of went through uh, a lot of initial reactions. Uh, tell me about your background. You were raised by uh, by two mothers? I was. Um, my my mother originally married um, in a heterosexual relationship, and then whenever I was a year old, they divorced. And my mother made it pretty impossible for my father to be in my life, and so he left, moved out of state, and wasn't heard from for a long time. And when I was between the ages of three and four, um, my mother began living what she said she always thought she was. Um, she tried to be heterosexual and it didn't work out for her and so she accepted who she really was and began living that lifestyle and so from about the age of four until I was 18 I lived in a home with two women. Hmm. Uh, and at a certain point you uh, got interested in LDS Church? What, when, when did that happen? That actually happened afterwards, um, way after I moved out. I was probably oh, around the age of 26 um, whenever I was introduced to the church but my grandparents were—my um, mother was raised in a Southern Baptist church. My grandparents were still very active when I was a child, and so anytime I went to visit, I had the opportunity to go to church with them. And then whenever I was in the sixth grade, I became very interested for myself. Um, uh, my grandparents gave me a copy of the Holy Bible when I began reading it and wanted to start going to different churches, and my mother was willing to take me to anyone that I wanted to go to, and she would take me and drop me off and come back and pick me up. And it wasn't really anything that we discussed in length, especially things such as doctrine or questions that I had, stuff like that. But my mother always encouraged me to um, to be skeptical um, of things that people were telling me, to always ask questions, not just to believe something because someone said it was true. She didn't really um, have an understanding of how to help me find personal revelation, um, but she just didn't want me believing something because someone that I thought was an authority was telling me that that's the way things really were. What is your... So, um, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and so uh, whenever I was in high school, I just, I always had these questions that none of these, you know, youth ministers or preachers could ever answer for me, and I felt that there was no way that Heavenly Father was going to leave us in the dark about things and not give us answers while we were here on earth. And I kind of fell away in high school and had a falling out with a youth minister about some things I didn't understand and, and quit going, And but always knew that there was a place for me, that there was a church out there, that there were answers out there. And, you know, through a series of very interesting events, Heavenly Father brought the gospel into my life, and, and it took me about a year um, from the time I was introduced to it, for me to actually hear about it, because, again, I was very skeptical, and I didn't want to be led astray. And um, once I opened up my heart to it and 
started investigating, then things happened pretty rapidly for me. You have a husband and children, I believe. Yes, I do. I have um, a wonderful husband named Matt, and we have four kids and one on the way. And um, very active in our ward here in Oklahoma, and very grateful, very very grateful to have the gospel in our lives. What does your What does your mother think? Does she go to church with you? Uh, what What's the relationship there? No, no. Um, my mother um, has very no interest in being active in any kind of church. And um, I probably couldn't tell you the last time that my mother attended you know, a Sunday service. It was probably whenever she was still living at home, actually. Um, but, you know, she's she's fine with the fact that I want to have um, that in my life, have church in my life. My family, being Baptist, of course, they think that I've kind of gone to the extreme of religion. And so, you know, there's some, there's some um, difficulties there with things. Um, such as that, but everybody's, for the most part, okay with with the decision that I've made, and thankfully nobody's disowned me yet. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's good. Um, <laughs> so ha- having that background then, and I'm sure, you know, with the announcement of this policy, perhaps your thoughts went to, you know, what if? What if my parents had allowed me to go to the LDS Church? I'd wanted to convert earlier and wouldn't have been allowed to receive a baby blessing or a or be baptized until you were 18 years old. What what what's your reaction? Well, my thoughts absolutely did go there because, you know, there were moments that I've wondered, well, what what would my life have been like had I found it while I still lived at home? You know, how would having young women um, leaders in my life have changed things for me? How would having been taught, you know, these uplifting things about the roles of women? you know, how would they have affected my life and my self-esteem and what I thought about myself? Because I didn't get that at the churches that I attended, and I didn't get that at home either. And so, you know, sometimes there's been, you know, a little bit of sadness that I had to wait until I was in my 20s to do it. But at the same time, um, all of the things that I went through as a kid and leading up to me finding the gospel were all very important in my development. And whenever I read the news online, I was, I was just dumbfounded. Um, it, it wouldn't register in my brain what I was reading on Facebook. And I read it Thursday night. And again, it was, it was from a, a news station. It wasn't from, you know, official church, church, uh, announcement. And yet for some reason, I immediately knew that it was true that this was happening. It wasn't a joke or, you know, some mean trick that somebody was playing, um, and initially just stunned by it and immediately began discussing it with my husband, and who was wonderful, who never questioned it for a second, who, you know, was just like, well, if this is what they're saying, you know, then this is, this is right, this is the way it needs to be, and um, it just really worked through it and what the implications of it were for children. And as far as myself goes, I it would be unfair for me to speculate how I would have felt if I had been, say, you know, 14 years old and found the church. My mother allowed me to be baptized into a Baptist church. Had she not allowed me to be baptized, which was a possibility, um, it wouldn't have stopped me from attending church. It was a very close to the kids that I went to church with and many of the adults there, and I wouldn't have quit going simply because she denied me the option of being baptized. Mm. And in my heart, I like to think that I would have felt the same way had it been in the LDS church as well. Let me turn to Dory Burt. Uh, appreciate you being in studio with us. We've talked several times. Yes. Uh, you've, you've joined the program <clears throat> on several of these issues. Give me a little bit of background uh, about yourself. You're a advocate. LDS church member? Sure. Yes. I was baptized at eight years old, raised by two active LDS parents. Um, I was born and raised in Orange County, California, and my husband and I were married in the Los Angeles temple. And uh, we have three children, which we raised in with as the Mormon church being the center of our religious existence. Um, I have had 
many, many, many church callings. Um, I believe my first one, I was sitting here trying to remember if I was 12 or 13, but it was back in the days when primary was on the weekdays. And I was called to be a pre-primary teacher, which means I told cute, fun stories to the little children, the three-year-olds. So I have a very long history of serving the church, in, in the church, and specifically serving within the organizations that cater to the children and and the teenagers that um, that has primarily been where my the bulk of my service has been even though I've I've served in Relief Society also so um, yeah so I have a strong how did, how did you get into um, advocacy on, on gay rights well um, I've always been interested when when we lived in Los Angeles um, it was in 1985 during kind of the height of the the AIDS crisis. And um, two of our neighbors, Dan and Jim, were just these wonderful, wonderful neighbors. And sadly, they both died. And there were many experiences I had in Los Angeles that just really opened my eyes a little bit broader than the experience I had been raised in, in kind of milk toast Orange County. Um, where I saw that just because a person has a different life than I, they, we have a lot of really common core values. And so I've kind of been interested or, or aware of the struggles of the gay community. But it wasn't until probably three, three and a half years ago that I became very involved in issues kind of at the intersection of um, LGBTQ and LDS and other religions as well, but mostly LDS. I, I marched in a gay pride parade with the group Mormons Building Bridges for the first time and and served on the uh, steering committee of Mormons Building Bridges for a little over three years and so have gotten to know the really the intimate lives of so many people in the gay community and and their desires to navigate this kind of rocky road between mormonism and being being gay or queer and and it, all within the context of love and understanding and so um it has absolutely changed my perspective and it it might i don't want to put words in your mouth it might be kind of confusing to navigate that th- that because because it seems like the the tone maybe shifts back and forth what's your reaction to this latest well policy I'll, I'll tell you my reaction um i was um, the current calling my husband and i have we're uh co-presidents over a very large program that is probably one of the best programs in the church. Um, it, it covers 15 stakes, and it's adult special needs mutual. And, and we meet every Thursday night. And so I was sitting in mutual last Thursday night, um, just surrounded by just this love and joy and total acceptance of everybody. And all of a sudden, my, my phone started buzzing a lot. And so I, I would sneak peeks at it, and I would get glimpses of all these reports, all my friends and and the forums I belong to posting what was happening. And, and I, I kind of had what I can only kind of explain as kind of this out-of-body experience where I was sitting in this just kind of bastion of love and accepting. And I was reading these words and it was like, wait, th- these two things cannot be happening at the same time. But I, I wasn't, I could not really look until um, Mutual was over. And then when I read the reports and, and like, um, like Brandy, um, by the way, hi, John. Hi, Brandy. I don't, I know John. I know John. I don't know Brandy. Um, I, I didn't doubt it for a minute. I know I, there were lots of reports saying, well, let's wait. Let's wait to see if this is verified. I knew it was, I knew it was for real. And I was, I was just heart sick. I mean, I was, I was sad. I was devastated. I was disgusted. I was hurt for for the people who this would impact directly just so many emotions and and um and also thought you know this this is not this is not the church i love this is these words are not um i i do not accept that these 
that any of this came from God. And I, and I stand by that. Mm. Um, I, it's a policy, it's not doctrine, but I do not see God's influence in any of this. And, um, and I stand by that. You're hoping it gets changed. What do, I, you, what do you hope? I absolutely am hoping it's get, it gets mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that people will see and, and and like like John, I I hope that maybe some good things will come from this, mm-hmm. um, some good discussion. But I I I <laughs> I would love it if there was a press conference and and they said, you know, we spoke out of turn. We didn't understand. This is wrong. We see that this goes against some of our core basic doctrines, um, all that. T- to me, you know, we've been hearing about the attack on the family, the attack on the family a lot. We hear that quite frequently. <laughs> to me, I I really think that this is the biggest attack on the family within the context of Mormonism that I have seen. And it's it's coming from our church leaders. And, and that is, I, I cannot accept that. Uh, so it's, I think it's accurate to say it's unlikely this is going to be changed anytime soon. True. <laughs> so then what uh, what do you do going forward? What do you do going forward? You know, I think it's a, a time where people are having a, a lot of personal reflection. I know that people are resigning from the church. Um, I I know that people are deciding I'm going to go and I'm going to be a voice for the, the children. I, I don't, I don't. I don't know what we do. I think we have to engage. I don't think we can just keep spouting things off and and um, doubling down on 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 rhetoric that's comfortable to us, no matter where we are in 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 the spectrum. Um, I I. I I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we do. Everyone has got to come to their own personal decision. And you know, I my my kids are all adults now and they are in that age group of millennials that statistically are are leaving the church um more and more. And you know, I don't know what the future will be for for them and for all of their friends that I saw grow up that I saw the church be such a positive influence. Um it's such a formative thing. It's such a powerful thing for a three-year-old to stand up in primary and give a talk or a, an eight-year-old to be given a responsibility. And then the young men and young women to plan the temple trips. And 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 these might not have a whole lot of bearing on their spiritual growth or what they continue in their spirituality for the rest of their lives. However, they are beautiful sociological and community building skills that that they are able to practice while part of the religious community of Mormonism and not being outsiders in it. Um, and 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 so I just think of of the different growth that my kids have experienced because they could access fully the opportunities presented to them in young men's, young women's in primary, and that I, as a youth did, and 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 they are they are good parts of our characters, and so it breaks my heart to think that we're telling a whole group of young children, you know what? These are great things. We know they're great things, but you know, sorry, you don't get to participate fully. Let's take a break. When we come back, more of this discussion. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are trying to work through this, uh, decide what they think and what they're going to do. Um, and uh, we're responding, of course, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints releasing an updated handbook for lay leaders of Mormon congregations, um, and specifically to the section which talks about children of same-sex couples. We have with us uh, gay rights advocate Dory Burt, who just, you just heard from, John Gustav Rathall, member of the Board of Directors for Affirmation, and Brandy Walton, who's an LDS writer. More following the break. This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. Strong leaders realize they don't know everything. They listen more than they speak. They invite ideas from everyone and facilitate communication between all. One plant manager works on the shop floor a couple of days a month in order to stay in touch with his employees. Another company president answers phone calls when customer volume goes up. Leading with humility means creating an environment where respect replaces fear 
where all jobs are valued. One business owner decided to eliminate her reserved parking and moved her work desk into a cubicle with others. She said excellence is a team sport. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU Shingo MBA program at the John M. Huntsman School of Business, a 15-month graduate degree for executives giving knowledge and skills to leverage the principles and tools of lean continuous improvement. Huntsman.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Last week, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints released an updated handbook for lay leaders of Mormon congregations, mandating church discipline for same-sex couples who marry and prohibiting their children from receiving baby blessings or being baptized until they are 18 years of age. Protesters in Salt Lake City on Sunday said the new policy perpetuates inequities and called on the church to reverse course. This has been in the blogosphere. It's been much commented on in... Uh, church meetings, the Mormon church and outside, and we're talking about it on the program today with Brandy Walton, who's an LDS writer who was raised by lesbian parents, John Gustav Rathal, member of the Board of Directors of Affirmation, that's a support group for LGBT Mormons and former Mormons, their families, friends, and church leaders, and we're talking with gay rights advocate Dory Burt. We're Wondering what you think as well, you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or uh, you can uh, join us by uh, toll-free number to 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. I'd like to play a little bit of uh, tape. This is from the church's website, and this is uh, Elder uh, D. Todd Christofferson of the church's uh, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He's being interviewed by a uh, public relations official. Uh, this is clip two from my engineer, um, He's asked here, what about the, the children? Well, in answering or responding to your question, uh, let me say I speak not only as an apostle in the church, but as a husband, as a father, and as a grandfather. And like others in those more enduring callings, I have a sense of compassion and sympathy and, and tender feelings that they do. So this policy originates out of that compassion. It originates from a desire to protect children in their innocence and in their minority years. When, for example, there is the formal blessing and naming of a child in the Church, which happens when a child has parents who are members of the Church, uh, it triggers uh, a lot of things. First, a membership record for them. It triggers. Uh, the assignment of visiting and home teachers. It triggers an expectation that they will be in primary and in the other church organizations. And that uh, is likely not going to be an appropriate thing in the home setting, in the family setting, where they're living as children, where their parents are a same-sex couple. We don't want there to be the conflicts that that would engender. We don't want the child to have to deal with issues that might arise where the parents feel one way and the expectations of the Church are very different. And so with the other ordinances on through baptism and so on, there's time for that if when a child reaches majority, he or she feels like that's what they want. And they can make a, an informed and conscious decision about that. Nothing is lost to them in the end if that's the direction they want to go. And in the meantime, they're not placed in a position where there will be uh, difficulties, challenges, conflicts that can injure their development in very tender years. The situation with um, polygamous families, for example, and same-sex marriage couples and families uh, really has a parallel. For generations, we've had these same kinds of policies that relate to children in polygamous families that uh, we wouldn't go forward with these ordinances while they're in that circumstance and before they reach their majority. And uh, that's the same sort of situation we're dealing with here. So it's something we have uh, had a history with. It's a, it's a practice that really is analogous. It's been the case over many generations. So those are some comments. Uh, it's about a 10-minute long interview. You can find it uh, at the LDS Church website, lds.org. 
Uh, I want to go around the panel, um, maybe ask everyone to be uh, somewhat brief on this. Uh, we ha do have a couple of emails uh, coming in and, uh, and some tweets. By the way, the email is upraxcess at gmail.com. We'd love to know what you think. Our Twitter is at Utah Public Radio, Twitter handle, I should say, and you can join us on the phone, toll-free 1-800-826-1495. I'll start with uh, John Gustav Rathal. Um, Elder Christofferson is, is stating the church's position. Uh, the church officials uh, believe that this policy protects children and does not limit opportunities for children in the church. What do you think? Well, um, in the days since this announcement, um, we have seen many instances in affirmation where the conflict that Elder Christofferson says it is the goal of this policy to protect our children from is actually being heightened. Um, we're seeing situations, for example, where there are same-sex um, married or partnered individuals who have joint custody of children and their ex-spouses are now wanting to wrest custody from from the same-sex couples because they want their children to be able to be raised in the church. Um, we're, we're also just seeing situations where um, there, there, was a, there was an individual who contacted me whose daughter was told by her bishop that she would no longer be able to serve a mission for the church. And um, this is creating tremendous, for this particular individual, this created a tremendous amount of pain and confusion and doubt. And what many of us, uh, many of us, I, I, I thought Brandy's story was very interesting, that, that many of us came to terms with our sexual orientation um, uh, at a later stage in life, and we're doing the best we can to come to a place of being healthy and 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 dealing with all of the the conflicting uh, emotions and 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 beliefs that we have and and many of these individuals who have children have wanted to continue to raise their children in the church. We have um, same-sex coupled individuals who have supported children on missions. I just um, saw some photos and some comments from uh, a member of a group in affirmation for, for gay fathers um, whose daughter had just returned from a mission. And, and it feels to us like children are now being put in a position of having to choose between the church and, and their parents. Um, and w I, many of us could understand if people were being told you have to wait until you're 18 to make a choice, but but then the policy also stipulates that that once you reach that age of 18 years old and you're allowed to make that choice, you cannot be living in in your in the home with the same-sex couple, and you have to disavow their relationship in order to be to be accepted into membership in the church. And so again, it feels like kids are being put into this impossible situation of having to choose between the church and choose between their parents. And so for us, it's, for many of us, it seems like this conflict has just been made far worse uh, than it was before. Let me turn to Brandy Walton. Um, we heard uh, Elder Christofferson there um, talking about how they, the, the church officials see it. This is protecting children. What do you, how do you view it? What, what do you think? I absolutely relate to what Elder Christofferson said, because as a, as a child um, in the Baptist Church, I was taught that my mother was going to burn in hell for the sin that she was committing, and that unless she turned from that sin, repented of that sin, and committed it no more, that there was no hope for her salvation. And I can really find no words to explain what that's like to be a child and to be told those things while you're sitting at church by yourself with no support, you know, nobody there to, to lean on or to hug or, or whatnot. Nobody else, you know, knew what I was going through. Very few people in the church that I attended even knew that my mother was lesbian. And so there was, there was just no support there whatsoever. And it was, 
it was just absolutely devastating for me every time I was reminded of this, of this belief. And, you know, Dory mentioned people standing up and being a, a voice for the children. And I think that that's a very, very tricky ground to be on because there are children like myself who disagree with the way that we were raised. And it's very hard for us to speak out about it because whenever we do, we're called bigots and homophobes and all kinds of nasty things and we're harassed. And if we get very loud, they try to intimidate us and shut us up. And it, it's, we don't want to hush the children who are struggling with their same-sex parents and, and make them feel as though they're marginalized. And we're asking children to go to a church and be taught that their family, their mom and mom or their dad and dad who they love will never qualify to be sealed together and be exalted because of the, the terms of their relationship. And I almost think that that could even be worse than being told that your mom's going to burn in hell for being a lesbian because, you know, at least in the Baptist church, I wasn't being taught that I could be with my mom for eternity in heaven. I, you know, that wasn't part of the doctrines there. But here, these little children are being taught that they can be with their families forever. But the children of same-sex couples, they're not going to get that. And it just breaks my heart for those kids to think that they're sitting there in primary and being told these things and knowing that they're not going to qualify for this because of the situation that they live in. Let me turn to uh, Dory Bird. What do you what do you think of Elder Christofferson's reasoning there. Yeah, inter- it it was surprising reasoning. Um, Brandy has brought up something that I think is very interesting to think about. And maybe the long-reaching, one of the long-reaching effects of this will be that we change some of the way we talk in church. And we stop focusing on exactly what a family looks like and start focusing more on love. For years and years, children who do not fit the norm, families who do not fit, I shouldn't even say the norm because statistically it's not the norm, but of a mother and a father um, with lots of children, they are on the outside when in primary, when when the primary sings, I'm so glad when daddy comes home and there's no daddy in the home or uh, many, many songs. I am a child of God with parents kind and dear and their child, their parents are not kind and dear. But on Sunday, you know, they are almost required by peer pressure to sing these songs joyfully. Maybe it, maybe this is what it takes for us to step back and say, hey, wait, maybe we're making a lot of children who do not fit a perfect, a certain mold feel like outsiders in church. And for the for the, the, the 15 to kind of say, you know, we're protecting children because these words are hard for them to hear, well, maybe it's time to stop saying those words. The biggest problem I have, though, with using that this is a protection for the children is within the LDS doctrine, we believe in a Godhead of three different people, three different distinct individuals. One of those is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost within our doctrine has really two jobs, one to comfort, the other to protect. And that is that is a core belief of ours. And so by saying this policy is to protect the children, we are essentially saying, you know, this guy whose job it is in our Godhead to protect you? Well, in order to protect you, we're making sure you don't have access to him. Because children get, we get that when we're confirmed, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we're denying, we're denying the, the protector and blaming it on protecting the children. We have some emails backed up. I want to get to those, um, and I think the way I'll handle this is I'll read the email, and then uh, if any of our panel want to have a brief comment on it, uh, we'll we'll do that. Uh, in the interest of time, we'll uh, try to uh, to uh, breeze through these. Breeze is the wrong word. Uh, I want to I want to <laughs> I want to I appreciate you emailing in. Uh, so, but we want to get everyone in. Phrase it that way. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking about the LDS Church policy on children of same-sex couples and uh, getting your reaction. And you can join us at upraxis at com or uh, by telephone to 800-826-1495 when we're on Twitter as well. 
Uh, this is comes in from Glenn. He says, I find the LDS Church's stance to be both at odds with their teachings and consistent with their history, particularly when it comes to allowing the priesthood and its blessings, he puts those two words in quotes, uh, to African Americans. The Church is at odds due to the fact that it promotes love and understanding and inclusion and yet held its stance on African Americans until well after the secular U.S. Supreme Court addressed equality. I feel like this is exactly what Isaiah was writing about in chapter 28, Quote, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, end quote. I was molested, as were others, he says, by an upstanding member whom I later found out had been disciplined by the church at least twice previous. I feel like the church will allow child molesters and others like that before they will accept the innocent children of the same-sex couples. It's unbelievable. I feel like it was poorly thought out and inconsistent with their teachings, yet fully consistent with some of its history. In their Articles of Faith, one of them states that, uh, paraphrasing, says, quote, men are to be punished for their own sins, not for Adam's transgression, end quote. From this I gather that the children are not bound to be punished for their parents' sins, only their own. Um, and he says, he's open about his past, talk about it frequently, and we have permission to use his name. So that's Glenn. Uh, I wonder if I could direct this to uh, John uh, Gustav Rathal. You, you wrote, I believe, in a recent blog post about the question of... Uh, African Americans and the priesthood in, in the church, and, and drew a parallel, I believe. Yeah, I, um, I I recounted an experience that I had as a young boy, about eleven years old, going out with my dad, who was a stake missionary at the time, and teaching a, a young African American family, uh, a mother and and her son David, and um, as a child, being really confused about why I was preparing to receive the priesthood, and David could not. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much this is parallel, but I, I do remember, um, as a member of the Church, as a very young member of the Church, hearing adults talk about that issue and really wrestle with that issue. And, and I remember adults in my life who publicly defended the Church's policy um, that that prevented blacks from being ordained to the priesthood, but then privately, uh, when they would talk about it, really wrestling with it and not knowing what to do with it. And to me, um, the environment in the Church today feels very similar to what I experienced uh, as, as a young child then. Um, it seems to me like we have a we have a policy in place that many people are really having a hard time trying to understand, especially those people like Dory Joe and and so many others that I that I know who have been um, who have wonderful relationships with LGBT people and and know who we are, know what kind of people we are, know what kind of faith we have, and. They really wrestle with why would these couples be excluded from 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 the celestial kingdom? Why couldn't these people who love each other just as much as 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 these other folks who love each other and whose whose relationships are sealed in the temple? Why do these people who love each other and are willing to sacrifice for each other and and my husband and I have been together for over 23 years. And and we have sacrificed a lot for each other and love each other and we're very committed to each other and and we we seek to have God in our lives and we we seek to live lives that are that are concordant with the teachings of Jesus Christ and and a lot of people um, who know us are just baffled um, by the church's policy and the church's teaching and and. So they're wrestling with that, and and to me the the kind of wrestling that's happening feels very similar to to what I witnessed in in relation to that other issue. Let me just alert uh, my uh, producers. We'll we'll go over the top of the hour. We'll go to six minutes past. I apologize to Brian Zesty Garden. We'll eliminate his announcement about his program, but we will have the program at six minutes past the hour. So I wonder if our producers can. Uh, make that happen in the control room because um, I, I do want to get these other uh, email comments in and get comments from our, mm-hmm. our guests. Uh, so this uh, next email 
Uh, he says, please don't use my name, so we won't. My comment on the LDS Church's recent announcement, my sister and I were raised in a strong Catholic family and were converts to the LDS Church in our late teens. The Church wisely, even back then, did not want to disrupt our family, and so we had to wait until we were 18 to be baptized without our parents' permission. I do not see a big difference between our situation and the current one. The policy is meant to not break up families. This is from a listener in St. George here in Utah. I wonder, Brandy, this seems to match up with your feelings. What do you think? I appreciate the um, the email, and he's absolutely correct. There are other situations where this is happening, and I think it's very sad that so many people are trying to say that the children of gays are being singled out. Nobody was up in arms when it was the children of you know polygamous families or when it was the children of Muslim families, or in this case, the children of Catholic families. So this isn't something new. This is just something added. It's just another situation where children need to be of age to make the choice. Something else was said earlier about, you know, disavowing the relationship. And I completely disavow the relationship of of my mom and, and her wife. And I do this because I sustain the Church's teachings that that type of relationship is not in accordance with the doctrine of our Church. It does not mean that I do not love them. It does not mean that I do not, you know, hope for their, their happiness or their health or, you know, um, respect them as, as my parents. It doesn't mean those things. It means that I sustain what the Church is teaching, that I believe it to be true, and that um, I'm going to support that in all places going forward, that in public I support it, in private I support it, and things like that. And it saddens me to hear, you know, fathers like John or these other people that I've seen online who feel as though their children are being said that, are being told that they can no longer accept them for who they are. And I'm glad that the, the email was brought up, because there are other children that have gone through the same exact thing. Let me go to our next uh, emailer, and, and this person doesn't want their name on there either. We'll, we'll honor that. Uh, this person says, I appreciate you taking on this issue on Access Utah. I agree with your guest, Dory. I do not believe this policy is from God. It is a policy, but not a doctrine. I ask myself, what would Christ do? Would he ever turn away children who want to be a member of his church? And, uh, and they go on. To, also, I do have a question. Does this policy also include heterosexual couples with children uh, who are not married heterosexual couples who are not married with children, but living together. Uh, so, Dory, uh, this person agrees with you. So the first part of that, or maybe we could take the second part first, I believe that this uh, policy does not include the children of heterosexual couples who are, as the Church would, would phrase it, living together in sin, not married. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I don't know for sure, for sure about that. Be- before, before we go on, if Glenn is still listening, I just want to say, you know, I'm sorry for for the abuse that you that you suffered and have worked through. That that's all. I just want to get that out there. Um, oh, and now I've lost my train of thought. What did you <laughs> so, ask me so again? The, um, uh, so I, I believe we we answered that question. That I believe the the policy does not include uh, does not apply to children of heterosexual couples who are living together without marriage. Uh, so the, this uh, the emailer says that. Uh, they believe this is a this is not a policy from God. It's policy, but not doctrine. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I think that's um, that that's that really is important to to distinguish. Um, it is a policy, just a doctrine, and and so within our our community, we need to make sure and not be telling people, you know, either you are on board or you do not sustain the brethren, or you know, you are you are the chaff or you are the wheat. The, um, starting to see a, a bit of that. It's a policy. There are other policies in the church handbook, like you know, we don't cook meals in the church kitchen. No one has a a burning testimony of that. Um, however, <laughs> this is a policy that can do irreparable damage. Well, very a lot, a lot of damage. As far as the children who are born to non-married parents, I, I have sat in many, many churches, sacrament meetings, when a baby is blessed, a baby receives a blessing, and the parents have not been married, and um, 
but you know what? They it, that is the tradition that they were born with. They know Mormonism. They know this is a little bit of a rite of passage. It, um, it's a wonderful thing to bond families together. And so, of course, they want to pass that on to their children. They might not be interested in, in leading all of the tenets of the faith, the practices of the faith, but there are those that are beloved to them. And when we start separating, well, let's not, let's not open up uh, these blessings and ordinances to children who are living in a same-sex marriage household, then we just really open a really nasty can of worms. How about children who are born into a family where one parent is just horribly abusive and and yet that child is still allowed to be baptized and should be my goodness shouldn't that child have the blessings of of those ordinances and um you know i i think there are just the the gay couples the lesbian couples that i know who like john might not have official membership any longer it is a church that they love. It's a church they're familiar with. And so they want their children to have those same blessings that they had while growing up. Let's uh, take a caller. Um, I believe we, we have our caller, don't we? This is Emily in Logan. Emily, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Um, I just wanted to clarify the difference between um, heterosexual couples living in quote-unquote sin. And um, the reason there's a difference is because, oh, I have to turn this off so I can't hear myself, <laughs> um, is because the, they can choose to start keeping the commandments um, without breaking up the family. So whereas same-sex couples, if they choose they want to start keeping the commandments, and they have children, they're going to have to break up uh, the family to keep, you know, the commandment of not acting on heterosexual desires or being married. I mean homosexual, sorry. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate that. And uh, I'll go directly to our, our next email, which is probably your last uh, comment here. We're running out of time. So appreciate that call, Emily. This is from, uh, he signs it, so I use his name, I assume, Mon Gregory. He says, I'm an ex-Mormon in a 20-year same-sex relationship. My comment addresses why so many ex-Mormons and non-Mormons are hurt and offended by the new LDS policies. For many years, I've asked my LDS family and friends to think of people in same-sex relationships the same way they think of people in different religions or different parties, uh, political parties, except for their own particular religious doctrines. There is nothing about our marriages or families that is in any way... <clears throat> excuse me, repugnant, immoral, deviant, or evil. We're not in these relationships because we're too weak to resist temptation to sin, but because we are following the doctrine dictates of our consciences with integrity and often at great cost. That's how Mormons uh, think about people who practice other religious faiths, not as bad people, but as good people with different religious beliefs. On the other hand, some religious teachings do condemn behaviors such as adultery, theft, ignoring the poor as immoral. I want Mormons and members of other conservative religions, religious traditions, uh, to put being in a same-sex relationship in the former category, if they must, and not in the latter. Unless they do so, there cannot be social relationships of equal dignity and respect between gay and Mormon families. The meaning that I and many others took from the new LDS policies and from comments made recently by LDS apostles is that Mormons should think of people in same-sex relationships as deeply immoral as religious apostates in counterfeit families practicing a particularly grievous sin. Then he adds a P.S. It is still the case that there is no place for LGBTQ people in Oh, he, it's a question, is it still the case that there is no place for LGBTQ people in Mor Mormon plan of salvation? I've heard some LDS leaders speculate that gay people who are faithful Mormons would have their sexuality changed in the next life, but other leaders have admitted that they just don't know, as there have been no revelation about this. That's uh, Mon Gregory. We are totally out of time, so I won't get a <laughs> comment from my guests. I do thank our guests for coming on the, uh, the program for this discussion. Uh, Dory Burt, uh, LDS Rights Advocate, John Gustav Rathall, member of the Board of Directors for Affirmation, and LDS writer Brandy Walton. Thank you to uh, you all. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. And uh, thanks to our listeners for responding. Appreciate uh, those um, those questions. And uh, let me just, in 20 seconds left, let me uh, get this last one in. Uh, this is from Leslie. What kind of confusion does non-acceptance of LGBT place on children who might be trying to figure out their own feelings of possibly being gay? So we got that in at the end. Thanks for listening to Access Utah.
One day in 1973, John Francis decided to stop speaking. Yeah, but just for one day. <laughs> but if I had started and someone said, John, you're not going to speak for 17 years, I might not have gone on. I'm Guy Raz, searching for quiet in a noisy world. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Join us Sunday afternoon at 3 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.